Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another exciting episode of That's Truth here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. I don't know how your Tuesday has been. I don't know if you had a rough Tuesday or if things were going extremely well for you. But we are glad that you have taken time out of your Tuesday evening and are finishing up your Tuesday by listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse and by being part of our conversation tonight. I'm Nathan Owens, sitting behind the desk with the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, and across the table from me is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Uh, good evening, Brother Nathan, and good evening to those who are listening. We are here to answer your questions from a biblical worldview, from a biblical perspective, and staying true to Scripture. And we are going to jump right into questions. Uh, Pastor, the first question is a carryover from last week, and it is based off of Matthew 18, 18 to 20. I'm going to read those verses. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that ye shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And the individual asking this question says, The reason I ask my question is, I've noticed many evangelical churches always binding the devil and missed any and everything. Many times it's as though they were commanding God to act according to their commands, which is a misappropriation of particular, this particular scripture. Pastor, can you please explain Matthew eighteen eighteen to 20? Yeah, and I, I wanted to come back to this uh, particular question because I think last week someone called in and I gave a very brief answer and I said I knew there was some um, reference in, in terms of the, the Greek that would help to clarify the meaning. Um, I would like to also say that this is one of the abused verses of Scripture. Uh, the person who sent it in indicated that that a lot of evangelical churches are binding the devil. Nobody can bind the devil. Only God will bind the devil. I don't know why. I think it's part of the sensationalism that is going on within uh, certain circles, especially the Pentecostal circle. And uh, I don't think that they really spend time properly examining the Scripture and putting it in its context and, and doing a proper interpretation. I think they get on the bandwagon, they hear something that sounds quite familiar, sounds kind of attractive, kind of sensational, and they keep regurgitating the same thing without examining. But when you come to this particular passage, it's very clear from what you read, Nathan, that it's, it's given in the context of church discipline. Uh, so we know that he's dealing here with church discipline. And uh, he indicated there, basically, uh, several things. Uh, the other thing, the expression that 
bind in heaven and that which is um, bound in earth, in heaven, except we bound in heaven. Um, um, the Jews would have understood that uh, because it was a uh, idiomatic expression that the Jews would use when they talk about something that was bound in heaven. It, they're referring to something that the Word of God uh, either restricted or permitted. Because the Bible says in the Old Testament, the Word of God is settled in heaven. So to the Jewish mind, whatever is bound in heaven is, is already bound in the Word. So when they talk about um, this matter of what you've bound on heaven will be bound in earth, in the Greek language, it's really the future perfect passive, and it means would have been bound in heaven already. So it's talking about church discipline uh, that God endorses that is in harmony with his word, which is already bound in heaven. So when the church disciplines a, a believer in line with what the word of God teaches, then whatever they have bound uh, on earth is already bound in heaven. So it's actually God endorsing the right of the church to discipline people who are disobedient and unrepentant and applying the word of God as the basis for such um, discipline. So it's a, it's a very simple passage, but it's just if people would just look at the context of it, they'd understand there's not, not, nothing mysterious about it. Uh, when the church uses the word, which is already bound in heaven, uh, what discipline they administer in line with the word um, is, is what it is talking about here. So what they bind on earth through the word is already bound in heaven because the word of God is settled in heaven. That's the Jewish idiomatic expression of it, and the Jews would have understood that. Of course, we in the Gentile world don't think that way. And that's why it's so important to understand the Greek language or the Hebrew language and not come to any uh, conclusion uh, until at least you have some verification that this is what it is in the language. Uh, there's always the problem of distorting some truth, especially when people don't understand the, the idiomatic, idiomatic expression. They can always interpret the way they want to ter- interpret. But properly understood, uh, it brings clarity to this whole matter of, of church discipline. You made a statement that the church would discipline a believer. Does the church have authority to discipline a non-believer? Well, I don't know how you, a church can discipline it because a church can only discipline its members. Uh, so that is why, and by the way, this might be the mystery that some people see in the church. They see people come to church and they assume automatically those who come to church are members. But that's not true. There are many people who go to churches that are not members of the church. And maybe that person might be seeing that person who's going to that church living a certain lifestyle and wondering why the church is not doing anything. But a church can only discipline uh, its members and those who are in the body of Christ. Uh, we have no authority over anybody. Look, for example, uh, Nathan, this might sound bizarre, but anybody can come to our church as a public building, basically. Um, a lesbian can come and sit in our church. A homosexual can come and sit in our church. A, a thief can sit in our church. A murderer, if we didn't know, can sit in our church, and we could do nothing about it. As long as they don't disturb the service uh, in any way, uh, they have a right to sit to listen to God's Word. So uh, sometimes I know it can be confusing to people to think that everybody that goes to church are members, but they're not members, and the church is only authorized in Scripture and mandated, as a matter of fact, to exercise discipline over those who are members of the church. Time Across the Eastern Caribbean is 7.38. The name of the program is That's Truth, and the voice that you hear teaching is that of Pastor Dr. David Murphy, the pastor of Grace Baptist Church here in Antigua. The purpose of this program is to answer your questions, and there are a number of ways that you can communicate your questions with us. You can send them in via WhatsApp or text to 1-268-268. 
782-1454, or you can call and be put live on the air, and the phone is open and available waiting for you to call. The number to call to be put live on the air is one 268 462-7420. If you would rather, you can go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, click on the Facebook Live video feed, and you can comment your questions or your concerns, and they'll get passed along to Pastor Murphy in a timely manner. On this Tuesday evening, we are glad that you have chosen to listen to That's Truth. If you're listening to the rebroadcast on Saturday afternoon, let me encourage you to tune in, if you're able to, on Tuesday evenings and interact with us live. And no matter when you're listening, let me encourage you, we're still early on in the program, so contact your family, your friends, and let them know that That's Truth is live on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, and we would love for you to ask your questions. Pastor Murphy, another question from a listener or in relation to a discussion with a listener. How would you respond when discussing with a individual and the person says that God has never given that person, given them any good gifts and never will? What are your, how would you answer that? Well, uh, I think, first of all, you have to kind of discern who you're dealing with. Uh, a person who thinks that way, that God has never given them any good gifts, or uh, et cetera, and all he's given is bad gifts. Uh, one of two things, I think this is either a hardened unbeliever, or I think it might be a disillusioned uh, professed believer. But either case, you're dealing with somebody who's going to has been through a lot of pain and anguish, and perhaps um, it's, it's um, been hurt um, over a period of time. This poisonous pessimism and this arrogant hostility towards Scripture, I think it goes on to say that even if you try to use the Scripture, you can't be convinced, something of yes, that nature. Yeah. It shows me that they're really shut off um, their minds uh, to, to any uh, biblical counsel that may be offered. I would say, uh, secondly, that you know any unbiased, thoughtful, reflective person who looks at their life uh, can discern some measure of blessing. For example, life itself is a blessing. Uh, even but what if you have a miserable life? Well, a miserable life is far better than no life at all. Uh, okay. Yeah, I mean, in fact, you're alive. Valid <laughs> point. <laughs> the other thing is that when you look at your life, you've got all your body parts. Mm-hmm. Do you think about that just a moment? I, I, I went to, at Fines recently, and there's a gentleman who um, is an Antiguan, and apparently he used to play some cricket, but he's now confined to a wheelchair. He's lost his leg. And he was sharing with me what happened. But I can see that it has really affected him enormously. And I went away from that place thinking, that, you know, how would I really exist without an arm, without a leg? How would I really function? And it's, in those moments, it's where you really appreciate that you've got your two eyes, you've got your two ears, you can still walk, you can still talk, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and I think that when you we, – we take God's blessings for granted. And I think anyone that really visits uh, – a mental institution or visits a, a hospital where people have lost limbs, et cetera, et cetera, I think they'll get a great appreciation for the fact that they're, they're normal and uh, that should bring some... And also, if you've got health, uh, you've got shelter, at least you've got food. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that we should be content with food and shelter. Uh, if we've got those, uh, <laughs> that's an amazing statement in the Bible, if we have food and shelter, um, you know, to be content. And then uh, if you've got at least a friend, and I think all of us must have, must have some kind of a friend uh, in life. If we've got a job, uh, that's a blessing in itself. And what about freedom? 
uh, there are countries, places in this world that you couldn't worship God. Uh, you are confined to what you can say, what you can do. Imagine the freedom that we have in, in the West. Um, in the Caribbean, you've got an open Bible. You've got a radio station you can listen to. Uh, if you happen to share in some of the natural beauty of the Caribbean, you can walk golden beaches. Uh, I mean, how many people in the world would, would be dotish yeah. just to be able to enjoy these kind of things? And then there's the, there's, there's prayer. we got the, uh, the prayer, prayer. There's a church. And then there's so, social agencies in these countries that can help the indigent and those who are in extreme poverty. And then if you've got a peaceful country, think about that for just a moment, and you've got a de- democratic system of government as opposed to some kind of a tyrannical control or some kind of oligarchy or whatever. Uh, these are things that we take for granted but are really, really uh, blessings. And then, of course, we've got opportunities in the Caribbean um, to improve your education, um, et cetera, et cetera. But in addition to that, we've got the gift of God's Word, the gift of God's Spirit. You've got the gift of eternal life. You've got the gift where God has promised, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Uh, you've got the, the gift of His um, uh, eternal security. You've got the gift of His uh, unfailing presence. And then in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 to 11, Paul talks about God blessing us with all spiritual blessings. And he lists seven blessings. He said we've got, we were chosen by God in verse 4. We were adopted by God in verse 5. We are accepted by God in verse 6. We are redeemed by God in verse 7. We got forgiveness in verse 7. We, we know the mystery of His will in verse 9. And then he says we got an inheritance to look forward to. I mean, those are seven distinct blessings that God has given to us. So I, I think the person that is uh, indicated that, I don't think they really uh, are pensive or reflective or thoughtful. And uh, maybe they're comparing themselves with other people that they associate with. Except we always do that. We never compare ourselves with the guy at the bottom. We always compare with the person who is above us. So um, it could lead that person to feel a sense of disillusionment. Um, the other thing I would like to say, Nathan, our perspective on life is based on the condition of the heart. Okay. So when we have a warped perspective, the problem is our heart. That's what Jesus said, out of the heart comes these things. But that just sounds like a, a spiritual phrase that you would tell someone that isn't really fair and isn't practical. Well, it, you, you, if you want to define it that way, but I'm not the one that said it. It's the Mass himself that said that. So okay. if you have an argument on that subject, I think you need to uh, look at what the Lord has said in His Word because He's the one that made that statement. I, I'm just quoting. I'm just the messenger delivering uh, the message. But it is, in a, a great extent, the condition of the heart really uh, actually colors your perspective on life. And if you have a darkened heart, you're going to have a darkened perspective. So what a person like this may very well need is the new heart that Jeremiah promises under the new covenant. And we know the new covenant came into into operation when our Christ, Christ died and, and uh, shed his blood. And so he has promised that uh, if we put our faith in him and trust in him, he'll give us a new heart. So the person who is in this condition may need a genuine born-again experience and a repentance and turning to God and asking the Lord to change and transform their life and give them a new, a new, a new heart, a new way of thinking. Uh, the other thing I would say, finally, is that if I was dealing with this person, I would try to be as gentle as possible, try to minister to the pain and to discover what some of the experiences are, find out what their story is, what their narrative is, and see if exactly if you can um, become sympathetic uh, with what is going on, become compassionate. Share scriptures uh, that uh, promises God's care, God's love, especially that one when my mother and my father forsake me, the Lord would pick me up, things like that. Mm. And then um, 
see if you could connect that person with a mature person. Uh, and if it's a female, with a female. If it's a male, with a male. The danger of connecting a female of this nature who's hurting with a, fe- a male, it creates uh, an emotional attachment that can lead uh, to physical uh, involvement, and you don't want that to happen in this in this life. And then uh, you can take some practical steps to find out if the, your church can do anything to help this person in their condition. I don't know what the problem problem happens to be, but there may be something that might be work-related. It might be something in trying to help them with their education. It might be um, an abusive situation at home that uh, needs some attention. Um, I don't have a clue uh, exactly the extent of the hurt. But there may be ways and means that the church or somebody in the church can assist and help uh, with this matter. So I would, um, I would, um, having discovered and done my investigation and, and talked with that person, find out what's happening, I would then see if there's any way I can help alleviate some of the anguish and the pain that is there and some of the hurt. In addition to ministering through the Word, there may be something practical that can be done. Maybe... Um, Invite them out to, to lunch, uh, maybe t- take them to your home, whatever it is. Um, something can be done that is practical as well as spiritual in trying to help this individual. It's be a long journey, but uh, that's why we're here. Uh, it said that Christ came to bind up the brokenhearted, uh, and the church, by extension, uh, become a, 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 a means and an agency to try to help people who are hurting. So hypothetically speaking, if the individual is not going to church, how should they cross that bridge to start going to church? How should they find the right church to start attending? Well, um, I would I suggest to anybody that, uh, you know, I, I'm, I happen to be Baptistic in my faith, and um, I believe strongly in the Baptist doctrine. I, um, if she is listening, um, I would explore a Baptist ministry. It doesn't mean that all Baptist churches are, are, are solid churches, but I will try to explore that. There are other good churches uh, that I could. I, I mean, the Wesleyan Church is a, it's a good church. To be very honest with you, I mean, all, I must must admit that. Um, certain Presbyterian churches are good as well. Uh, I would say uh, most evangelical church could minister to a person like this, but eventually you have to settle into a church where the Word of God is preached and where you can use your gifts and your talents within that assembly to help edify and build the body of Christ. So I think solid doctrine, uh, a good atmosphere of believers, and the uh, capacity to use the gift that God has given you within a ministry in the church. I think those are three of the key things that I would advise when you're searching for church. Pastor, a WhatsApp question from the Southern Caribbean. Pastor Murphy, how do you deal with recurring depression? Very practical question. Well, depression is it can either be organic or it can be something that is spiritual. If it is a repeated thing, it could be an organic problem, and it has to do with your um, neurotransmitters, and you, you, the doctor will, will, will kind of advise you on that. The other thing is if your thyroid gland um, is giving some problems, again, I'm not a medical doctor, so uh, I can't give this kind of advice, but I do know that this happens. I had a pastor friend in St. Vincent that was depressed for two or three years. And they couldn't find out what was going on until finally this guy had thyroid problems. And then when they started addressing that, it disappeared. It was a very mm-hmm. funny, a very, very unusual for all. He could hardly function. Uh, and then suddenly they, they did all kind of, then finally discovered that he had a thyroid problem and that resolved um, his issue. So I think you have to try to get a medical um, ad- ad- advice on this matter to see if it's uh, 
any organic link with it, and if it is, uh, if it is treatable. So if you've got an organic problem and there's an imbalance, you might need to use some kind of medication. If it's a non-organic problem, and it depends on what triggers, what precipitates precipitates your 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 depression, and that is something you have to to maybe take a log. Um, a, a log is simply a, a daily activities for, for a week with, with time frames and then when do you f- go into this, this kind of depression so, so when you do your log uh, you might find that it happens every two days or every three days you might find it happens when uh, you've had a bad um, experience at work or you've had a, a, a bad situation at, at home in order by logging the times when you had it and what seemed to have triggered it, it helps to set up, see if there's a pattern that's going on there, and then you can address that pattern. Um, the other thing is that I think the, the if it's a spiritual thing, the only solution to that is a, um, a relationship with God, and especially improving your prayer life and getting into the Word. Uh, and, and, you know, David in Psalm 42 and 43 deals greatly with this matter of why my soul cast down within me, David says. And then he says, hope thou in God. It's the Christian hope that helps to bring you out of the rut of depression. And you might have to find your consolation in God's Word. Uh, there are other things you can do in the process, like good Christian music. Uh, if you find that you're, uh, for example, one that gets me upset a lot and gets me in a very bad mood is, is loud music and crazy music that I can't even understand. In the Caribbean, there's plenty of that. Uh, where I'm living right now, it's very bizarre. I mean, it, it, it blares on mornings, Saturday mornings, uh, sometimes on Sunday, all during the week. And the person doesn't play, I mean, they live right across the street, but I'm sure if you went a half a mile, you could probably hear it. And it irritates me, irritates my soul. It gets me uh, kind of dumb, uh, that kind of, but when I hear nice, soothing music that has meaningful words, it soothes my spirit. It's almost like David and, and Saul, where Saul was going, had a fit of depression, and not only that, an evil spirit began to affect his life. And then when David played the melodious harp and song, it said that uh, the evil spirit left Saul, and Saul became calm and cool. That's the therapy that music uh, is involved in music. So I think that is another uh, means and help in that regard. But without knowing what triggers it and why it's, it's very hard to to, um, to really give any counsel over the thing unless you talk to the person and find what's, what's happening. But I think with prayer, scriptures, uh, listening to godly music, doing a, a time log, a, a log of what, what happens and when it comes on, might you be able to pick up a, um, a pattern. Or, as I said, the first thing I would advise you if it's a repeated thing is to get a uh, medical test to see if the uh, neurotransmitters is some kind of an imbalance and uh, see what the doctors would advise in that matter. Pastor, another question, this one coming from the UK. Do you think it is wise for Asian, Mediterranean, and Africans to continue in their traditions and cultures and to not mix with Western traditions and cultures? Well, when I read that uh, that particular question, um, a few things came to my mind, uh, and let me just make a few comments here. I, I am not sure that there can be such a thing as a cultural isolationism in the modern times. I don't think that is really, really possible. With the internet, with international travel, with intermarriage, with trade and commerce, and, and banking, all of these things are integrated, and the world has become... Um, interdependent uh, so I don't think it's possible 
to dismantle the this interdependency uh, that we have currently and revert to some form of isolationism. I don't think that is really, really possible. The other thing I would say uh, from a Christian perspective is that we as Christians cannot recommend uh, isolationism because uh, we cannot be advocates of uh, cultural or, or, or whatever form of isolation because we are globalists and we are trans we have a transnational message and a transcultural message that covers the, the entire world so uh, the church uh, is one institution that cannot be um, culturally isolated uh, or advocate for that uh, because our message is to, to cover to all, all, all other all the nations the third thing I would like to say that inherent in this question seems to be the idea that the Asian Mediterranean African cultures are somehow special and maybe even superior to, to Western culture. I, I um, don't buy into that. Um, I think that is pure romantic thinking. I think it is uh, uh, utopic thinking that really is not grounded in fact. Most of these countries that are referred to uh, are tyrannical. You've got either political tyranny, You've got religious tyranny that you can't have freedom of religion. You even have gender tyranny if you're talking about the, the, the East where women can't even drive a car. There's so many things a woman can't do. You've got spiritual tyranny, and uh, spiritistic tyranny in certain parts of the world where everything is animistic and there's a, d- a spirit behind everything. And then, of course, you've got economic theory, uh, tyranny where there's no mobility from the lower class to the upper class. There's this vast gap between the lower and the upper, and that is maintained because of political uh, corruption. So it might sound kind of idealistic uh, to discard the West and uh, and so on, and and the idea that these are romantic um, countries and 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 cultures that uh, you know are so um, better than than the West. I, I I don't. And the other thing, the fourth thing I like to say is, it's significant that the areas that you mentioned, uh, the Asian, the African, and the what's the other one. Asian, African, Mediterranean. Mediterranean. These are the same. All these people are trying to get to the West. You ever notice that? That all the Arabs are trying to get to the West when they had all this problem. Where, where do you think they want to go in? Uh, America, for example, allows one million people from the world all, all over every year in America. They all want to go to the West. They don't want to get away from the West. Now, the problem with the West, of course, is that the West has become uh, very, very, very corrupt. And in the various real ways, this lost its moral and spiritual underpinnings, and it is actually on a wayward path to oblivion, because it has forsaken its Judeo-Christian values and adopted a philosophy of evolution, humanism, and materialism. And this is creating all the chaos and the confusion, and that will ultimately lead to, to calamity if there's no change and no reversion. Hopefully, the pendulum will swing back again. And the last thing I like to say about this matter, look, the only hope for any culture, whether it be Western culture or African culture, Asian culture, Mediterranean culture, is Christ and Christ alone. Uh, It's the transforming power of Christ in the life of the individual. And that individual goes back into his culture and begins to become a catalyst for change within that culture. So rather than looking at culture apart from Christ as though there's something beautiful about it, uh, uh, we need to understand that it's Christ that changes culture. Could I say this as well, that the Western culture and the results of Christian influence 
is very is very very profound in the West. When you see uh, culture uh, um, excellence in art, or in literature, or in science, or in architecture, or in education, or in medical advance, or social transformation, or prison reform, or music, or even justice, or equality, uh, or private ownership, all of this is a spin-off from the Judeo-Christian philosophy that once underpinned the Western world, but now that he's gotten away from the Judeo-Christian uh, biblical principles, he has now found himself in moral chaos, and the world is almost embarrassed of what the West is currently doing. But the answer is not uh, found within the cultural superiority. It is found within uh, bringing Christ back into the picture, into the culture, transforming the lives of people, and those people go into government, they go into businesses, they go into every aspect of, of the, uh, the the nation and begin to bring about change. Without that, um, I don't think there's any possibility that uh, whether it be African, Mediterranean, or, or even Western, that it can never be really anything very significant without bringing back Christ within the culture of a nation or country. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 7.59. Make it 8 o'clock. We are glad that you are listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. The name of the program is That's Truth. We're broadcasting from the island of Antigua. On 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, online at org, And if you're in, interested, you can listen on Facebook Live. You can watch on Facebook Live. Go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page. Click on the Facebook Live video feed. You can comment your questions, and we will ask them to pass here live on the air. If you are not on Facebook, but you would like to call and be put live on the air, you can call one 462 7420 If you'd rather WhatsApp or text your questions. By the way, thank you very much for all the interaction thus far this evening, for those who sent in questions throughout the week. You can WhatsApp or text your question to one 268 Pastor, here's an interesting question that's come in. We often think of cults as involving lots of blood and odd practices. I've been reading through Leviticus and Numbers. Why did God command that his people kill so many animals and then sprinkle the blood on their clothes? Well, again, look... All of the pagan practices that you see within the cultic movements um, that you talked about, these are aberrations of what God had instituted. There was always some kind of a core truth that I believe that every um, civilization has known. As a matter of fact, when they was the Torah, um, the Torah Babel, when God scattered, up to that point, there was some core knowledge that was certainly passed on to all all peoples that went in different directions. That's why that every religion that is found, there's some idea of sacrifice. There's some idea that blood has to be shed. And again, we can only understand that when we go back to the book of Genesis, that um, um, uh, when Adam had sinned and he was uh, found himself naked, we are told that God uh, took skins and God clothed Adam. And of course, to do that, God had to uh, kill some kind of an animal and to, to clothe Adam. That's the first idea that there will be some form of covering that is needed. And that became uh, a means of uh, going through the Bible, teaching man through pictorial forms that man was a sinner 
and that man need to have his sins covered. And the only way that man's sin can be covered is that the innocent had to suffer for the guilty of humanity. So the whole idea of substitution, the whole idea of covering, is what this whole system of animal sacrifice was about. So when he, he chose his people and he carried them into in the promised land, he laid down certain um, institutions uh, relative to this whole matter of sacrifice. So he keep reminding them again and again the sacrifice was about sin to impress upon them that it's your sin it's your sin you ought to be destroyed because of your disobedience but the only way that you can be uh, you can continue is that the innocent has to cover you so every sacrifice in the Old Testament was to impinge upon man's mind and remind remind man that he's, he's sinful before God and he has to give an account for his sin but an innocent per, uh, animal will be sacrificed to cover his sins so the only reason God was not doesn't destroy humanity and never did it is because they were under the blood to be very honest with you uh, but all of this was eventually to point to the one who was to come the Lamb of God Jesus Christ that this one would ultimately come and die on the cross and die for human sin and that his blood would cover the sins of humanity so all the pictorial things you find in the Old Testament was actually types pointing to the ultimate sacrifice of Christ so it's emphasizing sin and forgiveness but it only comes by the shed blood of an innocent per- person Pastor, we have a question from Antigua, or a caller from Bendel's Antigua. Thank you for calling, and go ahead with your question, please. Good evening, good evening. Hi, good evening, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Good to hear from you. What can we do for you? Yes, Pastor Murphy. Is that is it that when when you have something, you only have the best prayer and feel so I, I, led by the Spirit, and then. The devil kind of interrupt and make you believe that you are not a Christian. You don't feel that I'm, you are walking with God. And I am not sure. What, what? Can you tell me what he said? Yeah. Can Can you repeat your question? Uh, yeah, I say in that time that when you have the best prayer, the best prayer, see, prayer, the best prayer, prayer. Yeah. Yeah. And you're led by the Spirit. Uh-huh. And uh, after ten twenty minutes, the devil kind of interrupt and tell you that oh, you are not saved not feeling you're not on the right road and make you feel discouraged yeah well look, just remember that our lord spent 40 days and 40 nights in the most intense uh time of fasting and prayer before god and what happened at that moment after he'd gone through all of that exercise the enemy comes and tell him you're hungry uh, and then, if thou be the Son of God, I mean, imagine the same question he's posing. If thou be the Son of God, do this to do the next. He's challenging the fact of his sonship. So, if that happened uh, to Christ when he drew near to the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights and the enemy began to attack his sonship, his identity, uh, we should not be surprised that he do the same thing with us. Uh, he knows that if you're a person who is interceding and you're praying and you spend some, some real quality time with God, he has to undermine that desire to do that again. And one of the best ways to do that is that the moment after you've done that, to give you an idea that uh, uh, you know it didn't work because, look, I just prayed to the Lord and here I am doubting again. So he creates these kind of doubts. The whole design is to frustrate you and to frustrate me and to discourage you and to discourage me. And remember, you're dealing with somebody who has 2,000 years of experience. Mm-hmm. And I'm serious. If you think about that for just a moment, you know what it would be to have an enemy that has 2,000 years of experience, that knows every single human uh, foible, know how we think, how we act. Uh, he is an expert at this matter, and he's going to use every... And this is something, by the way, that is um, displayed. You remember uh, Elijah in the Old Testament? Mm-hmm. 
He defeat every all these four hundred prophets at, at uh, Mount Carmel. He sees fire come down from heaven. It laps up the the water. It laps up the even the stones, and then. Uh, uh, next day, the man is running. <laughs> you said, but wait a minute. How is this possible? I mean, wh- who is he running from? A woman yeah. who said, tell that man by tomorrow I'm going to have his head. This is the same man that stood on Mount Carmel and called on fire and saw victory. But yet in that moment, he loses it all. That is telling you how weak we are as human beings. And our confidence must not be in our flesh it must be in the Lord and holding to to what God says as opposed to how we feel and what the enemy tells us that's the only safeguard in these matters yeah because sometimes when I come and meet everybody I remember John the Baptist yes correct one of the greatest prophets ever ever Correct. And then when he was in prison, he had the doubt over. Right. He sent somebody, said, are you the one to come? But he's the same man that said, you know, he has come and he latched up his feet, uh, shoes I am not worried to. But in that moment, uh, he has an eclipse of faith. And what did the Lord tell him? Go back and tell John what he's doing. He said, the blind see. You know why he told him that? Because Isaiah said that when the Messiah comes, this is exactly what the Messiah would do. So he took him back to the word. See? Mm. And that's what we got to keep going going back to the Word. That's where our strength is. That's where our power is. And that's where our sustenance is. Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word. Uh, so we got to get back to the Word when those things happen. Okay, then. Thank you, Lord. You're welcome, God. And God bless yes. you. Say hi to the wife, please. I did not say anything. She already listened. Okay, good. Okay. Good. good evening, I'm Sister Williams. Good. Good evening. Thank you very much for the call, Brother Williams. Appreciate it. And continue to listen to The Lighthouse. Continue to encourage others to tune in. Pastor, a question that has come in. Why do you have to take the vaccine? I'm assuming talking about the COVID-19 vaccine. Mm -hmm. And what is the problem if you don't? Well, first of all, you don't have to take the vaccine uh, in a democracy. And, and, you know, freedom is sacrosanct. So I don't, the government is not going to send a nurse at your home and with two policemen and maybe the military and uh, inject you against your will. So it is not that you have to take the vaccine. Uh, you're not compelled uh, against your will to take the vaccine. So let's be very, very clear about that. Now, what happens then if you don't take the vaccine? Well, several things uh, I could mention that could happen. Number one is you may not have access to travel. Um in order to come into Antigua now, you have to have some certificate that you had the vaccine. And I'm going to suggest to you that if you intend to travel in the future, it's going to probably be that you have to prove some evidence that you do have, <coughs> you've had the vaccine. <coughs> you would not have access to certain countries. You might be able to travel, but you might not be able to get into the countries because of that. The other thing that, think of your self-endangerment. It makes you personally vulnerable. If you don't get the vaccine and you get COVID, what, what does that mean? But isn't that my right to do that? Yeah, it's your right. That's the point I'm making. Right? <laughs> it's your right to do that, but just be aware that you may be uh, committing self-suicide. Uh, if your body, if you're asthmatic, for example, or you have some kind of uh, respiratory problems, you are very, very vulnerable to, um, and it can be very lethal for you in that matter. So that's the, uh, then you endanger others, okay? You don't take the vaccine. So what happened? You get the covid and you bring it to your home. Who's in your home now? You've got mom and dad. You've got brothers and sisters. So that might be a consequence. Can you live with the consequence that you, you know, you were so 
strong about this, headstrong about this matter, and then you ended up giving everybody in the home. What if one of those persons you give die? Wow. Can you handle that? So you got to look at this as well. Um, it might become a, a requirement in the workplace. Uh, I can see that happening. That unless you you know get the vaccine, that that's a possibility. I don't know how it would integrate with the laws that we have. Then you may not you know school placement requirement might also might may eventually require that you at least have the vaccine to get into a public school because um, you know the government is the one that pays for public schools. And then of course um, you may never see your grandchildren. In other words, you might be gone. Uh, so th- those are just realities. You've got to make a choice. I just recently took it myself. Um, I took it on Tuesday. Um, it didn't affect me on Tuesday. Uh, Wednesday was my bad day. Um, I felt very weak, very tired, uh, very little energy. Uh, and, and I was under the sheet from head to toe. I was very, very cold. Uh, however, when I got up um, the next day, it was as though nothing happened. It was the strangest thing in my entire life. Fine yeah, felt, felt fine. No problems. No, no, no nausea. No, no tiredness. No exhaustion. Uh, I remember Mr. Trump said when he'd had it afterward, he felt stronger afterwards. <laughs> I feel a little bit like that, to be very honest with you. I feel much more alive. I don't have the rest that went with it probably helped me in the process but I feel very um, that's how I feel today so I'm up th- at this point in time I'm very glad that it took it I'm the age now where um, I am vulnerable and I got to not tempt the Lord uh, in this matter and therefore I took the vaccine I would recommend those who are 65 and over uh, to not play Russian roulette with your life because it's, it can be a very very serious illness uh, we lost one family member already in uh, Barbados, someone who's 52 years old, uh, a nurse, and uh, she was asthmatic, and uh, she's gone. Uh, I would hate that the obituary would, would have to read your name out. Uh, so I'm just saying it's something to think about, and um, you have to make a final decision. But there could be some very serious consequences, consequences and you need to take that into consideration. So you don't think there's microchips in there? Oh no! I, I look. There's so many uh, conspiracy theories. I am almost becoming immune to them because they're so bizarre, so bizarre, so bizarre. And the funny thing about it is that after people have believed these conspiracy theories and then they prove to be false, they still fall for another one. And that's that's the thing I can't understand. Uh, I had a gentleman um, here in Antigua. I don't know if I ever shared this with you on the radio. But he had gotten to the belief, uh, listening on the radio, the Lord was going to come back in sometime, maybe three years ago in October. He was convinced about it. Uh, he was a, a joiner. And at that time, uh, I was looking to get a second-hand machine, something, and that somebody told me about him. And I went, he was selling out all his machinery and stuff like that and so on and so forth. And when I started to talk to him, he told me the Lord was coming back, gave me the exact month. And and I said, I can tell you one thing. You're coming back in that exact month because no one knows. You know the day and everything. Anyhow, while I was talking to him, I will never forget it. There was a boom of thunder. I mean, suddenly from nowhere, he said, you see what I'm telling you? Here's the confirmation. Oh, <laughs> to make a long story short, that's about three or four years ago. 
and uh, nothing happened because I knew nothing would happen. But uh, people like that fall to one theory after another. They almost can rationalize why it didn't happen. So I am, a, you know, I'm not for these kind of theories. And I, I've listened to some of what is being said, and I don't think that there's any truth to this matter. And uh, I'm satisfied with what I've done. I don't have any guilt or any complex about it. If your conscience bothers you, and we got, I would not take one by the way that was involved in using a baby tissue or something like that. I, I would be. Uh, I mean, I don't agree with a lot of what is done in the Catholic Church, but they've been very, very consistent on these matters. And recently, there's a vaccine that came out, take by Johnson and Johnson, Johnson and Johnson, right? That the 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 uh, the bishop said that um, it's immoral, and that's because of what was used to you to do it. Um, and um, I would not take that one for sure, but the others, um, I don't think there's a moral issue there. A follow-up question in relation to the vaccine, and this comes from Trinidad. Uh, what they haven't told us is how long does the vaccine give us immunity for? Well, I don't think they know. Uh, uh, remember that this had to be expedited to get this thing done because the death level was becoming so severe. I think America's lost over 500,000 people, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe more than that now. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it, the, the total figures in the world, but they had to do something to expedite this matter because the, the massive loss in life could have been far worse than it is. And the other thing, of course, is that with the winter coming on, uh, all of that was taken into factored into into things. So they, 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 I don't think they know exactly how how this thing, uh, how long it can last. But it's, it's just almost like people taking a flu shot every year. I think that this may become normal. Yeah. That certain times of the year you take this shot to, to prevent uh, infection. And uh, this is a reality. But we got to thank China for it. And uh, <laughs> uh, I really think, I must say this on the radio, I'll say it again and again. I really think that the Chinese should be made to put aside a, a large sum of money for developing countries that have torn the economies apart. This is something that was totally preventable. And uh, I really think that they should have a, uh, some moral pressure brought upon them. Uh, like the Caribbean, we've washed out with the loss of tourism. Who is going to replace the the revenue of that source? How much longer is it going to take to rebuild the tourism industry? So what do we do meanwhile? China is a very rich country with massive resources. And I think because of they could have prevented this, I think they should be made to put funds apart for these third world countries. And I hope that that eventually happens. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 816 You're listening to That's Truth, a live interactive call-in program. Thank you for the comments and the questions that have come in thus far tonight. We trust that you have had your questions answered satisfactorily from the Bible. We are here to answer your questions from the Bible. You can WhatsApp or text your question to 1268-782-1454. Or if you want to call and be put live on the air, you can call 1268 Four six two seventy four twenty. Pastor, we're going to jump into a new topic that uh, we'll start tonight. I don't know if we'll get a chance to finish it tonight, but it's that of Bible mysteries. When you say Bible mysteries, what do you mean by mystery? Can you define that term? Yeah, look, um, first of all, we need to understand that the word as used in the Bible is not used in the same sense in which is used in the uh, the cults during the Babylonian cults or the Roman cults in the first century world. Um, those idea of mystery was that there was some kind of esoteric knowledge 
that only people who were initiated into the cult would know, and that knowledge had to be kept under the pain of death. That's not what the Bible is talking about. Uh, today as well, when people talk about mystery, they talk about something that is so obtuse, so difficult to comprehend, to understand. Uh, again, that's not the biblical concept of, of, of a mystery. When the Bible talks about mystery, uh, it is talking about some particular truth or some particular purpose or program that God had from all eternity that he had pre-planned, but he kept it secret uh, from eternity, but then eventually revealed it uh, to us. That's what a mystery is. So the mysteries in the Bible are easily comprehended, but they could not have been known until God had revealed them. And that's what is meant by a Bible mystery. Uh, so there's nothing um, about being so profound that the average person can't understand. It has to do with God keeping uh, secrets about his plan and his purpose. And uh, now in the New Testament dispensation in this age, he's finally revealed uh, what his plans were and what his purpose was. So that's what basically is a sacred secret uh, kept by God, uh, unknown to, to man until God has finally revealed through the New Testament uh, epistles and through the New Testament writers. There's a question, comment that has come in in relation to the vaccine statements you made. What's the difference between the yellow fever vaccine and the COVID-19 vaccine? I think people must love their immune systems and start treating their body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit, with respect. All the talk of the vaccine sounds as if this is the hope for mankind for the rest of life on earth. I don't think um, that's one way you might look at it. But the truth of the matter is we've got diseases that we always be fighting uh, and, and, and it is always mutating as well. So that's why the, the common cold, I mean, there's so many different strains of the common cold. Influenza is another common strain. We have no control of these matters. Sometimes it's the result of birds. You remember the bird flu? Yeah. Uh, swine uh, flu. Swine flu. I mean, uh, there's so many things. And, and this is part of the fallen nature of the world. And we will all be confronted with diseases, etc. Et Man has been given by God the right to uh, dominate and control uh, the world, basically. He's been given that as a steward, and he's responsible to use his mind and his, his skills and his ability to try to solve problems. One part of those problems are diseases, and that's why you have medical doctors and you've got uh, clinicians and you've got people who study uh, sciences, etc., to be able to solve these problems. So I, 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 we could keep the immune system and we should we should do that, uh, et cetera, et cetera, but that's not going to solve all the problems. You can keep your immune system as best as it can, but you get infected with a disease that, um, like the one that was uh, come from China, Etc. Uh, Etc. Et which I understand that there was some experimentation on this. They've even suspicion that they added some feature to it. Etc. Et that made it so so complicated. When you face those kind of situations, your immune system is not prepared for that. Uh, and even if yours were, the other people in the world are not prepared for that. And that's why uh, the vaccine is needed. But the vaccine is not the hope of man. Christ is the hope of man. But that does not in any way absolve human responsibility to use science to solve some of their problems. Uh, so. I don't think there's any uh, any contradiction here whatsoever. I think science can be used in harmony uh, with with the scriptures, and that's why Doctor Luke accompanied the Apostle Paul in his missionary journey. He was a physician as well, so uh, I don't think there's a conflict here between science and the Bible, and I don't think we're trying to say that uh, put 
man must put their faith in science. You put your faith. And by the way, could I say this? It's not the vaccine that is giving that heals you. No, know, it's the body. It's the body responding to the vaccine, creating these antibodies, etc. That actually is the cure. So all they do is weaken the strain of whatever it is, put it in your body, and allow your body to respond to it. So it's not really man doing the cure. It's God, your body, actually responding and creating the cure as God has designed the body to respond to these things. I was just thinking this evening before we started the program that you remember a couple of years back, maybe a few years back uh, in Africa, there was such a Ebola? case of Ebola. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And there was hypothetical fears of uh, pandemic, global pandemic and Ebola. I was thinking if that had spread, if we were facing Ebola right now, well, I'm sure you and I wouldn't be in the same studio right now. <laughs> we would we would be locked in our homes uh and, but just to think that God's in control and he's sovereign and has a perfect plan, but that it's all working toward the the rapture and the end times. Yeah. The other thing, Nathan, along with that line, um, you know, there's been another recent outbreak of Ebola, a very serious outbreak in Africa again. Yeah. yeah. The, thing, the thing there is, though, you remember that the people were dying, and it was, I mean, dying within days. It was, yeah. It's worse than AIDS, to be very honest with you. And it's only when, I think, one person got infected, and they were able to get the the, the antibodies or whatever it is and then they were able to create a vaccine now imagine if they didn't have that science the whole of Africa would be wiped off off the map and if one person had come into the Caribbean by plane that could have almost wiped the Caribbean off as well so science is valuable and that is the God-given responsibility that God is a man is a steward and man is told to rule the earth and uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that we need not to think that there's any antithesis between true science and the Bible. Um, and uh, so I don't think the two of them are, are, are the, other, what, the other thing you mentioned there about the, um, I was going to make another comment about the evil. Working toward end times. Oh, yes. Remember that our Lord said in Matthew chapter 7, there should be pestilences. Yeah. And that's the word there, diseases. As we move towards the end time, you're going to find that increasing and increasing and increasing because man has his a destiny with God. And the rebellion that man has lived for 2,000 years and have not yielded, uh, that cannot continue indefinitely. And God is going to whip man into uh, into judgment. And man will either uh, trust the Lord and repent, or he's going to suffer the consequences. In the book of Revelation, it talks about these matters. So you're going to find that as we move on towards the end time, there's, you know, a few years ago, there was herpes. Everybody was terrified by herpes. They thought it was the worst thing. Then AIDS came, and they thought that was the worst thing. Then Ebola came, and they thought that was the worst thing. Now we got COVID. So it's not something you can stop. Uh, I think that it's built into the fallen nature of man because of man's sinful lifestyle, that this is part of God allowing uh, these things to happen. And the whole ultimate goal is to bring man back to faith and trust in God. Here's an interesting question. Pastor, God knows when I'm going to die, right? So why do I have to worry about taking the vaccine? Well, what if what what? <laughs> Good question. Okay, uh, that is something you you can resolve. I can't resolve that one for you, but I do know this: that um, it's like me saying that um, God knows I'm going to die. So I took I take a gun and I put one bullet in it and just take a chance with the trigger. You know, you wouldn't do that. You don't play a Russian with real life. God gave you a brain, and the brain is designed to give you intelligence so you can respond with reason. 
And uh, to my mind, uh, God is not going to absolve you of your responsibility to use your mind in regards to these kind of things. So I don't think that using the fact that God has knows that you're going to die and therefore you shouldn't worry about what time that would be. Well, I'll be honest with you, I don't want to die. Let me just make that very plain on the radio, right? I, I don't desire to die. I desire to live, okay? I know my time is going to come, but it's not something I look forward to in the sense that I love life. I really love life. Uh, and I know that uh, it's something that's un- unpreventable. But I'm not going to um, speed that up by not taking measures that I can use, using my common sense and my mind, uh, so that uh, you know my death is not premature. That's why I drive within the t- the, the, the uh, speed limits. Um, you know, I can drive from here to home in a hundred miles per hour and get there in three minutes. But I may also end up wrapped around a pole, right? So I think we've got to use our common sense in these matters. Uh, time across the Eastern Caribbean is eight twenty-six. Do you have a question? Maybe it's something that you have wondered for years and years, and you're not even sure that it's appropriate to ask. It may come across as if you're doubting the Bible, you're doubting God. If you don't want your location stated, we won't state your location. Go ahead and send in your question via WhatsApp or text message. one 782 1454 is the WhatsApp or text number. Or if you want to call and be put live on the air, the phone line is available and waiting for you to call. And the number to be put live on the air is one two six eight four six two seventy four twenty. Until your question comes in, we're going to continue discussing the mysteries of the Bible or Bible mysteries. And Pastor, you were just defining that the term mystery is not necessarily referring to like if you were part of the Masonic Lodge and you had to be initiated. But the Bible in the word in the New Testament is a slightly different word. Yeah, I, I'm just trying to say it's, uh, it's a mystery is a part of God's plan or program that He has kept uh, secret uh, from all eternity, but has decided to finally reveal that in the New Testament dispensation, so that the apostles are the one that unfolds what these mysteries were. And when these mysteries are are explained in the New Testament, we discover that they're not. Um, some kind of esoteric truth truth that only a a select people can understand. These are truths that are plain to everybody. And once a New Testament truth has been revealed as a mystery, it's not something that we must keep secret. It must be sent out to the whole world because uh, Christianity is a global religion and we must take the message. That's the point I'm making here. Uh, Under the mystery cults, a mystery was something that was uh, kept only for a select elite group who were initiated and they had to keep that under the point of death. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about some plan or some program that God has that he has kept secret, but now he's revealing us to us in New Testament either. So is salvation one of these mysteries? Yeah, the, the, It's interesting that uh, salvation in the sense that 
those who are saved become part of the body of Christ. But God's not trying to hide salvation. Oh, no. Salvation truth has been taught throughout the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, when Paul is expounding in Romans 3 and 4 about the doctrine of justification, he goes back to Abraham and used Abraham as the example. Abraham believed God and was counted into righteousness. Paul says that's exactly the same form of of salvation. So the, the doctrine of salvation of man being restored to God, that man having sins are forgiven, that blood needs to cover human sin, and that one day Messiah would come, started in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that's called the Proto-Evangelion. That's the first biblical promise that is given in the Bible, that the seed of the woman would come that would destroy the serpent's head. From that moment on onward, the doctrine of salvation has been gradually unfolded in the Old Testament until we come to the New Testament, and it's in all of its blaze and its glory is explained. But, uh, and that's what the purpose of Israel, by the way, all the sacrifices in the Old Testament, under the Old Testament economy, was designed to emphasize uh, how man would be redeemed and how an innocent one would, would die. Blood had to be shed and man's sins would be forgiven. And remember that the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. That's the biblical principle taught throughout the Bible. The innocent must suffer for the guilty and the blood must be shed and the, the, the life is in the blood. So to cancel death, Life must be must be given, and that's exactly what happened in all these sacrifices. So, in March of 2021, what do I have to do to become a Christian? Well, again, if you check uh, the New Testament and read the Gospels, read the, uh, the Book of Acts, um, we're told that if you believe in your heart. Lord Jesus Christ and you confess him and trust him that's how you get saved so if a person wants to be saved you repent of your sins uh, you put your faith and trust in Christ that's the gist of salvation repentance of sin and faith towards God and the tr- a trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ there's no mention there of church there's no mention there of confirmation there's no mention there of baptism none of these things are part of the doctrine of salvation. These are things that follow salvation. But the key things here is repentance of sin and faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 8.31. I don't know if it's possible to do this, but is there a central theme of these mysteries in the New Testament or throughout the Bible? If you um, check the word mystery in the Bible, you'll find that it's mentioned 27 times. And you'll find that every time that word is used, uh, it has some reference to the church age. And what I mean by that, this current dispensation was the secret dispensation that God did not reveal in the Old Testament. He never had any idea that there would be such a church. The church is a mystery. That's why the church is a mystery. It doesn't mean that we don't understand what the church is, but it was hidden ages past, but now revealed to us. All the mysteries that uh, relate uh, in, in the Bible relate to this core idea of the church and the, the other factors that are involved in the mysteries have some aspect to deal with the church. Let me use it. Look, look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 to 27, Nathan. Colossians chapter 1, 24 to 27. All right, those verses read as follows. And if you're looking in your own Bible, Colossians 1, 24 to 27. Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Verse 25, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. 
Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. And verse 27, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Just of what Paul is saying here is that the great mystery that he has been given to him, which is called, he calls a dispensation, is that in ages past, God had never revealed that the church would come into existence. And what is a church? The church is constituted of Jew and Gentiles uh, whose entire uh, existence revolve around the hope of Jesus Christ. Uh, no Old Testament prophet ever prophesied that there would be a day when you will have Jew and Gentiles forming one body without any distinction. The entire teaching of the Old Testament is about uh, the Jewish nation. And if a person wanted to become part of the Jewish religion, he himself had to become a proselyte and become a Jew himself. So the Gentile to become part of the Jewish religion had to become a Jew. But in the mind of God from all eternity, he had the plan for the church where whether you be a Jew or Gentile, when you put your faith and trust in God, you form one body called the church. Paul said this was hidden from the ages of the ages, but now it's being revealed. And it's true, the Apostle Paul, this. But notice, it's not something we don't understand. It's not something so complicated. The fact that you're going to put the Jew and the Gentile together to become one body, I can understand it. You can understand that. As a matter of fact, even a Gentile can understand that. But that's a mystery. That's what it's not that it's something difficult or obtuse. It's just something kept back from ages past, but now revealed. That is the core around which all these mysteries are built about the church and the church age. So, would you say that God was being unfair to those previous generations by not exposing them to that mystery at that time? You can't say that because Revelation is progressive, and God is dealing with man at the state of his spiritual development. You know, uh, it's like uh, here, uh, it's like. Incrementally, the Lord is revealing truth after truth. That's why, for example, the biblical truth about death. Okay. You cannot come to a full understanding of what death is by just the Old Testament doctrine. You have to see what the New Testament reveals about that. Take, take truth about hell in any great detail. That Who would know there's a distinction between Hades and Gehenna? All of that is truth that should be revealed. So God has been dealing with man uh, at the stage of his spiritual development, and God has been involving, unfolding more truth and more truth and more truth until finally he reveals that truth about his son. Pastor, we have a caller from Antigua. Thank you for calling. And go ahead with your question, please. Hi. Um, you know my name is Elvis, Sergeant Dan. Yes, sir. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I um, want to ask a question about two um, people, right? I want to ask one about um, Eve. Eve? I want to ask one about Mary, uh-huh. right? Codrington, okay. could you turn your radio down for us? It would make it much easier for us to hear your question. We really appreciate you calling in tonight, and we want to make sure that we're able to hear you clearly. Yes. Yes, sir. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, Eve was uh, the mother of all living were born in sin. Pardon me? Yeah, yeah, she's the uh, mother of all living, yes. All um, born in evil, right? Uh-huh. Okay. Um, Mary was the mother of Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ was a righteous man. So uh-huh. after Jesus Christ um, coming to the world, he became the mother of all righteous living. 
No, she's not the mother of all. The Bible doesn't say that. As a matter of fact, the, the, the Bible says that the, the only person that's used in that regard is Abraham. He's called the father of the faithful. All people who by faith, but never is Mary given that, that, that title. Oh, okay. so you, you can't um, find it there. Right, okay. Remember, Adam was the first Adam, right? Right. And um, Jesus Christ was the second Adam. He's the last Adam. Go ahead. Okay, he's the last Adam, uh -huh. right? So if you have an Adam there when in the Eve time, uh -huh. and then you have an Adam there so in Mary time, uh -huh. right? <laughs> Did you do have a mother uh, where born all sin, and then you won't have a mother that born a man to be righteous? So when you come to him now, you became... You became righteous. No, but what, what you're doing there, Codrington, is you're conflating a lot of things that don't need to be conflated. Uh, uh, Christ uh, is the federal, new federal head of humanity, and Adam was the old federal head. Every person born, uh, was born on planet Earth was, was through Adam, and we became sinners through Adam. He's the federal head of, of the human race. The new federal head of the human race is Jesus Christ. Right, so what we got to understand that when you get saved or I get saved, we are taken out of the first Adam and we are now placed in Christ. So the the, 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 the the central teaching of the Bible about the first Adam and the last Adam is about federal headship, how God in dealing with human sin, how He's resolved the problem by this concept of headship. You can't take Eve and Mary because that comparison is never drawn in the Bible. Uh, what I'm telling you here, the first and last Adam is, is, is there in Romans chapter 8. What I think has happened with you, Codrington, if I might say this, I think that you have become uh, too centered on Mary. And I would suggest you become centered on Christ because that's where the emphasis of the Bible is. After chapter, after the book of, uh, after the Gospels, Mary is never mentioned once again in the Bible. The whole Bible is about Christ, not Mary. And I think that you have somehow uh, allowed uh, Mariolatry to guide your thinking and I think you need to change that. That's my counsel to you. Focus on Christ, Codrington. The only way you're going to ever get to heaven is through Christ. There's no Mary to meet you up there to get you in. The only way you'll ever get in because he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You cannot lose by putting your confidence and faith and trust in. Let Christ be your hope, not Mary. And I would, yeah. I'm telling you that as sincere as I can, because if you continue down this line, putting all your trust in this lady, you're going to get the biggest shock of your life and the greatest disappointment. Because the only way you're going to get to heaven, the only way I'm going to get to heaven, the only way anybody gets to heaven is through Jesus Christ. Christ and Christ alone. He is all sufficient. You don't need to add to him. And that's what the entire doctrine of the Bible, as a matter from Genesis to Revelation, the story is about Jesus. And I think that you've missed the story if you put Mary there anywhere. Because she herself would point you to him if she was here. And I, I hope that you will really wake up sooner than later that your focus needs to turn to Christ and not Mary. I'm trying to say that as a friend, and I'm not trying to knock what your religion is. I'm just saying to you from a biblical perspective, that is what God's intention would be. This is my beloved son, he said, in whom I am well Pleased. Okay. Uh, right. Mary said, follow you. Uh -huh. Go ahead. I'm just concerned about um, you have somebody that um, be the head of um, the first living. But you don't need that. You got the head. You got. You got the head. The first head was Adam. Because even even in the Bible, uh, in the Old Testament, 
uh, throughout. The whole idea is about Adam, not about Mary, not about Eve. You don't hear about Eve after Genesis chapter 1. Okay? And Paul picks up on Adam to say there are two heads. There's a head. The first head was Adam. The second head is Christ. Adam was the federal head. That's how all people became sinners because of Adam. Then when now we have a new federal head in Christ. So God takes us out of Adam and puts us in Christ. But um, remember that how the first Adam was um get to um no um he was her wife and then she be after she now she became the mother of all right um sinful living. And she became the mother the, of all um, living. The right? Second Adam now. Yeah. Second Adam. Yeah. Now who we call Jesus Christ now? She she being Jesus Christ and the only how we can get to heaven as you said, which is right. We. We are saying that how she is, that um, she can't save us, right? We are saying that how we, we acknowledge her like how she, um, Eve was the first Adam of all living. Why we can't accept Mary as the mother of all righteous living? Because it is not in the scripture. The simple reason is not in the scripture. Yeah, it's in the scripture. That's not there. If you could, sh if you could give me, give, give me the verse, give me the verse in the passage where it is. It's not there. Yeah, well, I have to just go and find it for you because I heard the Bible talk about it that she is the um the mother of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ is our God. Who I we know we have to trust in. I would like to say we that. Have to have to her yeah, our, yeah, but could I say this to you, uh, Mr. Conjunction? Knowledge Eve is our mother in Christ. No, sin. I don't. We have to have knowledge Mary as our mother in Christ. I don't have a mother in Christ. I have a father in Christ. I don't have. A, I, I don't have a mother in Christ. Listen, if you you can check from Genesis to Revelation, I'm going to tell you it's not there. It's not there, and you don't have to take my word for it. If you have a concordance, check it up and see, and you see it's not there. It's very unfortunate that you have got your whole life so zeroed in on Mary. Uh, and I think, quite frankly, that's what I call idolatry. I'll be honest with you. Your focus must be on Christ and Christ alone. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, nobody else. You come into God, you can only come through Him. The Catholic doctrine is, as this guy Ligori, uh, if you ever read any of his books, they teach that she is a co-redemptrix. They teach that she is co-mediatrix. So you may not believe that, but if you are Catholic, you have to believe that. It's just that you don't understand their doctrine. right? So to, to teach, and there's no queen in heaven either. They've got Hatchet, her as a queen in heaven. There's no queen in heaven. So I, I can't understand why you don't understand the entire Bible from Genesis. It's about Christ. Nothing about Mary. She's only a human instrument that was used as a vessel to bring the man Jesus, the human nature of Christ, into existence. She performed her function, and we credit her for that. But that's the end of the story. It's about Jesus and Jesus alone. Yeah, I know what you're thinking about, but um, we have to acknowledge somebody because there's a lot of people. There's a, we acknowledge, you acknowledge Peter, you acknowledge um, all the rest of the disciples, and people don't acknowledge them. We know how the way they go about Jesus Christ. No, we acknowledge, we, are, we acknowledge the Apostle Paul and Peter, but we don't worship them, we don't pray to them. So acknowledge them to recognize that they were human vessels used by God for a purpose. That's it. But we don't have any. If it's Paul and I talk about the mother, right? If it's Paul was talking about the mother, 
What Bible are you reading? I'm going to get some more details about um, your understanding because you don't believe that she is she in heaven right now. Yeah. And you don't believe that all those people in heaven can hear our prayer. Mm. I, you don't believe in her. That is not, that's not their ministry. There's only one way that you, you only point person you pray to, that's God. And there's only one means of getting your prayer answered. You sign it off in Jesus' name. There's no other way to pray to anybody other than to, to God through Jesus Christ. No prayers are answered except it goes to God through Jesus Christ. No prayers. I don't care how many times you pray. I don't care how many times you don't pray. If you don't pray to God through Jesus Christ, you're not getting any answer to prayer. Because that's the only means of prayer. Yes, to God. But I'm going to get um, some facts more together, right? Because I'm going to ask my Lord to help me with his mother. Okay? <laughs> so next week. Okay, sir. Bye. Codrington, thank you very much for calling. We do appreciate you calling. Appreciate you listening. We look forward to hearing back from you in the future. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 846. Pastor, we have a question from Antigua. Once saved, always saved. Is that statement true? It's the, what I believe. Uh, you may have a different opinion on the matter, but uh, I believe if a person is genuinely... Now, remember, I'm not saying once professed to be saved, saved. So let's be very, very clear about that, okay? If a person is truly born again and they are justified by faith in Jesus Christ, uh, they will never be separated from God. The Bible says neither life nor death nor things come nor things present nor angels nor, nor powers nor principalities could ever separate us from the love of God. Those who belong to Him, truly belong to Him, are eternally secure. He which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall perish. No, never ever perish. No man can pluck them out of my hand. So if a person is truly saved, genuinely saved, God will preserve that person like you would preserve your child. And another question from this individual in Antigua. Where exactly does my soul go when I die? Well, it's not what I think. It's what Paul says. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. That's found in Second Corinthians I think it's chapter 5. I mean, it might be verse 26 or somewhere around there. But um, the Bible teaches that, that when a person dies in Christ, now he goes to be with the Lord. His spirit goes to be with the Lord. His body, of course, is in the grave. And that's why there's going to be a resurrection. That's why there's going to be a rapture. Because when our Lord comes back, uh, He comes back with the spirits of the saints and their bodies rise and there's a union, reunion there and we go to be with the Lord. So if I die tonight, or you die tonight and you're a Christian, absent for the body, present with the Lord. You go to be with the Lord. Now before Christ died, that was not the case. And to be very clear from the Old Testament teaching, and nobody could actually have gone directly, Spirit go directly, Lord, until, first of all, this whole matter of redemption was settled. And that's why you find in our Lord's teaching in, in, in um, Luke 16, there are two compartments to Sheol. There's Hades, where the wicked go, the evil man went, and there's also what is called Abraham's bosom, where there's comfort. Uh, when Christ uh, died, he led captive, captive, according to Ephesians, and he led those in, in that part of Hades, and he took them to be with him. Now, when a believer dies, we no longer go to that area of Hades called um, Abraham's bosom. We go directly to the Lord. That's a revelation that's given to us uh, by the Apostle Paul. Paul said, I have a desire to depart and to be with the Lord. 
but it's more needful for me to stay here and minister to you. But he had that assurance that once he died, he would go to be with the Lord, that his spirit would go to be with the Lord. We have nine minutes left in this episode of That's Truth. Still enough time if you want to call and be live on the air. The phone number is one 462 7420 Maybe you've been putting off sending in your question via WhatsApp or text message. you still got enough time. If you hurry up and send it in, you can send it to one 268 782 Yeah, I want to make a, a point here, Nathan, as far as we, where we go. And the people, by the way, that are dead, they're not um, annihilated. Uh, they're not sleeping either. Uh, their body is asleep, but not themselves. And you can see that very easy from Abraham and, uh, sorry, Moses and Elijah and the Mount of Transfiguration. They were actually talking. They're, how long they've been gone? from Old Testament times, almost a thousand years, two thousand years, well, yeah. almost three thousand years, to be yeah. honest with you. But yet, they were lying when they were talking. So, you remember our Lord said, uh, He uses, the, 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 uses grammar and appeal to the present tense. He's not, he doesn't say that he was the God of Abraham. He, uh, he is the God of Abraham. In other words, Abraham is not dead in the sense that Abraham's spirit is alive. Uh, so, the idea that you, you have soul sleep and you're unconscious, that uh, doesn't ring with what our Lord taught and what uh, we see happening in the case of um, Moses and Elijah at the Mount of Transfiguration. These people were much, very much alive and able to talk. So the idea that when you die, you, you, there's something called soul sleep. Uh, that is a Seventh-day Adventist doctrine. That's a doctrine of some other cultic movements as well. But when you come to the Bible, uh, clearly those who are dead are alive uh, in the sense that they are conscious. It's just that the body is in the grave. And that's why there needs to be a rapture. There needs to be a resurrection. Uh, you cannot be a total human being uh, uh, humanity without having a body but of course we're going to have a glorified body uh, and that's what man is a body a soul and a spirit so uh, man is not complete until that body is returned that's why Romans chapter 8 says the body is to be redeemed and that we are now groaning in our bodies for that final day of redemption when the body will be redeemed so God is going to redeem the human body uh, and uh, replace the body and the spirit together. And of course, that's what the biblical teaching is. Pastor, we were talking about biblical mysteries, and you referenced the central theme or the church age. What biblical proof can you give us that the church age was not known or revealed in the Old Testament? Well, there's several passages that um, you can see that there's a gap in the thinking of the, the writer, that he didn't see that there would be this church age, this period of time. Um, let, me, let me use one that very quickly. Look at Luke chapter 4, verse 16 to 18. And while you're there, Nathan, also uh, look at Isaiah 61, verse 1 to 2. First of all, read Isaiah 1 to 2. Okay. 60, 61, verse 1 to 2. All right. Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2 uh -huh. says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. In verse 2, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance our God, to comfort all that mourn. Okay. Notice that it goes from the uh, preaching, the acceptability of the Lord, accept, and, and then what? The next one is the day of vengeance. You notice that? So notice that uh, there's a run in there as though that this day and the day of vengeance is one. 
Okay. Now come to uh, look at Luke chapter 4, verse 16 to 18, when our Lord quotes this exact verse. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. And then what it says next? To preach the acceptable year of the no, Lord. No, read the next verse. Uh, and he closed and he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him here's a fascinating thing he stops exactly at the day of vengeance okay that is uh, in Isaiah they told him running together but it's significant that he stopped at that point because he did not deal with the day of vengeance which is going to come between his coming and the day of vengeance there is the church age Okay. That's the point they're making here. There's a there's a gap between there, but they run into the Old Testament, so the Old Testament couldn't see that there's a big church. They thought that one would follow the other. That's why when the Messiah came, they expect the Messiah to destroy the Roman Empire and set up Israel as the premier um, empire of the world, because they're seeing that when the Messiah come, he's going to do this, and then he's going to set up his kingdom and he's going to judge the Gentiles. That was the problem they had. Didn't see that the Messiah would come, he would die, and there'd be two thousand years of church history, and then the Messiah would come back and deal with the other part of Isaiah. So there's a massive gap between those two. two ver- and our Lord is significant. He picks the book of Isaiah, he reads to that section, and then he stops. He closed the book because that's the part where he is. The gap between there until he comes back is what we call the church age. Interesting. I can honestly say I'd never seen that. Yeah, but it, it, that, that's why that's why we say that the gap, the, you know, it, we do know one thing. In the Old Testament, the day of the Lord, which is the vengeance, is second coming, is prophesied, he's going to judge the world. Right. But what is missing is this, this period between here that is not disclosed. The Messiah comes, he, he fulfills the day of the Lord, he does all these things, and then he's going to bring in vengeance. But they so run together in the Old Testament, you think one follows the other, then you realize 2,000 years between the gap before he comes back. So that hiatus between there is the church period, the church age that is missing from the Old Testament, and that's why it's called a mystery. It's not that God didn't plan this. He planned it, but he did not reveal it in the Old Testament. But now to the apostles, he explained to them that this period of the church age, which was hid in former time, is now revealed to them. And what is that 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 this this uh, mystery that God is going to form a people called the church, made up of Jew and Gentiles, and that after he has done this whole thing, then he will come and he will bring about his judgment. That's where you've got the rapture coming in, etc. That's where the mystery is all about in that regard. There are other passages as well. Um, look at uh, Zechariah 9, and, uh, Zechariah 9, verse 9 and 10. Zechariah 9, 9 and 10 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just, and having salvation, lowly, and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt, to the full of an ass. In verse 10, And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and the horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace unto the heathen. 
and his dominion shall be from sea even to sea, and from river even to the ends of the earth. Do you see what's happening again? We know that the, the terrible coming right in the horse is what happened on the one. When he came in, Paul right, triumphant entry, entry. But notice it goes and talk about him uh, having his kingdom and setting his kingdom from end to end. Again, that is going to come. But the two don't run together, so you don't see this gap here that the church is going to exist, and then his kingdom is going to come in where he will from the end of the world. So you've got this massive gap between, again, two verses. But there's no mention that there'll be a church in between there before he has his kingdom set up. And that's the period that was hid in ages past and not revealed, but now revealed by the apostles. So they've got this gap again between two verses. One has to do with his triumphant, one has to do with his final kingdom where he has the, the entire world on his domain. And between there, there is the church age that is, is, uh, is missing. Um, look also at Isaiah 9-6, another good verse. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall just be called... Just stop there for just a moment. We know the son, unto us a child is born, a son is given. That is when he first came. But what's the next verse said? The what? The government. The government So this one that is coming is going to be ruled as a governor. But that didn't happen. Right. He came, and but he's going to rule again. So in between that verse, again, it goes from his first coming to his becoming the governor where he would rule. There's a, uh, uh, a gap between there where you've got the church age coming in again, which was, again was not revealed. Anyone reading that verse would think that when the Messiah come, he would begin to rule. Right? You see, right. You see the gap again? Is that some of the reason that the Jews were so confused? It's exactly the problem with the Jews even today. Uh, the whole matter that they thought that when the Messiah come, uh, they didn't see the aspect. There'd be two, two aspects to his coming. He will come to redeem the world, die for the world's sin, and he will come back to set up his kingdom. To them, they all blended into one. They wanted him to set up his kingdom. And because he would not defeat the Romans, they thought he was a traitor and a deceiver because that's how they interpreted Scripture. And that's the danger of not properly exegeting Scripture. In the last 20 seconds, are there any things that are still being yet to be revealed? Of course. For example, we talk about the rapture. Okay. Uh, we had a questioner ask the question, there's not going to be no rapture. I, that's why we're dealing with this subject, to show why the rapture is a secret and some people have difficult understanding it. Thank you very much for joining us on tonight's episode and be sure you join us next week. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kHz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.